Happy Monday, Mark Claire Show listeners. And before we even get into today's episode, I want to tell you about a special offer from today's guest, Gabriel Custodiate. Gabriel is offering a 25% discount for either of his online courses, buying and using Bitcoin privately and securing your computers to become hack-proof. These are incredibly valuable courses. And now for MCS listeners only, for Mark Claire Show listeners, you can use discount code MCS over at watchmanprivacy.com slash courses to get a 25% discount on any of these courses. You definitely want to take advantage of this offer and you're going to find out why in today's episode. Monday, friends, and welcome back to the Mark Claire Show, where each and every week I try to feed you some tidbits of knowledge to help you navigate this reality. And we're going to do that today with my guest, Gabriel Custodiet, who, unlike me, uh, has done a much better job concealing his identity than, than I have here at, well, let's face it, it's the Mark Claire Show. Uh, and one great feature of the Mark Claire Show is that we have awesome, real sponsors, not pre-programmed, programmatic ads. You're not going to hear a random Pfizer ad come up on this show. Don't you worry. Uh, all of my sponsors, my big sponsor here is my man, Stephen Fox. He's a real person, a real person that I I know who's been a fan of my work for a couple of years through Lions of Liberty and now here through the Mark Claire show. And he's chosen to sponsor this show with his amazing product, Fox and Sons Coffee. Now I'm almost out of my Fox and Sons Coffee, my Den Blend Dark, which I absolutely love, but I'm not worried. You know why? I just got my email saying that my new two pound bag for my monthly subscription is on its way. It should be here any day now, any minute now. So I'm very excited about that. That's why I highly recommend getting these subscriptions. They are now $4 off. If you head over to foxandsons.com, the letter, the letter F, yes, the letter F, F-O-X, the letter N, S-O-N-S dot com, foxandsons.com. Uh, if it's your first time, just try, try any bag you want. He's got a number of varieties there, including a Costa Rican honey prep. You get 18% off your order now if you use discount code MCS at checkout. So if it's your first time, I want you to head over, buy a bag for yourself. If you don't drink coffee for some reason, buy a bag for a friend. Help out the show. Help out a great business, a business that is not just a business. It's also a way for Stephen to bond with his sons as he did with his own father over coffee while teaching them about business. I think it's just a fantastic combination. So head over to foxandsons.com. Get yourself a subscription for $4 off per month or use that discount code MCS. For 18% off your order, you can't go wrong either way. That being said, we will now head over to my conversation with the great Gabriel Custodiet. With me today, he is the host of the Watchman Privacy Podcast, and he is a privacy consultant. I'm very pleased to welcome Gabriel Custodiet. Gabriel, welcome to my show. Hey, Mark. Um, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, and you know, you've we've we've known each other. I feel like for a couple of years ago, uh, since I first became familiar with your work, and uh, as people know, as video watchers know, I usually do do video for these programs. I usually require my guests to have video. I did make an exception in your case because, as we'll see in the course of this conversation, not showing your face is kind of a part of what we're going to be discussing here today, which is the subject of privacy. Um, so the first thing I want to get into, Gabriel, is how you sort of 
how this issue came upon your radar, how you became so passionate about this. Why did you decide to not just start implementing uh, a lot of privacy tactics, a lot of what we'll talk about today, but why you started to actually build a brand around this and, and share your knowledge, share the strategies with other people? Yeah, well, that's a great question because the first thing you want to do if you're actually interested in privacy is not to be public about it and not to have a podcast about it and not to write a book about it Oops. and not to dox your voice as as people say, as I'm doing right now, as if this was my real voice, of course. Um, but you listening to my show know that uh, this is a voice on loan. So my main reason for becoming public about this was simply, you know, to be honest, I wanted to kind of have a side hustle. And I realized that a lot of the passionate people talking about privacy are not out there, right? They're, they're purposefully not out there. They're not promoting themselves. They're not on Twitter. They're not doing all this kind of stuff to spread the message. And so I saw an opportunity and I said, okay, I'll take one for the team. And it's not as if there aren't benefits that come with that. And so I figured, okay, let me talk about privacy. Now, how did I talk about privacy to begin with? Well, pretty simply, during 2020, I really developed a political spine and I came to favor individualism over collectivism, to put it in basic terms. And I realized that one of the keys to being an individual is to have privacy. And not enough people were talking about that. Uh, there's obviously always people talking about digital privacy and how to you know, change your iPhone settings, whatever, all this important but basic and purely digital stuff. I came in and I wanted to talk about things holistically. So we talk about the philosophy of privacy on my channel. And we also talk about the tactics, but not just digital privacy, but physical privacy and jurisdictional privacy and a lot of other big concepts. Recently, we've been getting seriously into cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Monero, how to use them privately, how to have circular economies. So we get pretty radical. Oftentimes, we'll talk about things that a lot of other privacy people are not interested in talking about um, or are frankly not courageous enough to talk about, I think, in many cases. So I don't compromise on that. And I do see privacy as essential to a flourishing civilization. And so I just talk about this in all kinds of ways on my show. This is kind of jumping ahead a little, but since you mentioned it, I, I just want to kind of skip to, could you mention one or two of these subjects that a lot of these other privacy advocates, advocates you say are sort of afraid to touch or just don't go into for whatever reason? Yeah, for example, I have an episode called How and Why to Torrent. Now, um, that's a that's a very tricky subject, right? But I talk about, I basically explain the technology to people. I explain how the knowledge of acquiring things uh, freely online, uh, especially behind a VPN is crucial. Of course, I'm talking about Linux ISOs for anybody listening. I'm talking about purely legal stuff, but just having the ability to acquire things for free online is a really important attribute, especially for example, you think of the, in New Zealand, a few years ago, there was this guy who shot up a mosque and he wrote a manifesto. And the New Zealand government actually made it illegal. I think it was punishable by something like 10 years in prison. If you had, if you were in possession of this uh, manifesto. And I don't know, I'm not really interested in what this guy has to say, but if that's the penalty, I'll tell you what, that makes me really interested, Mark. And so being able to acquire things online, knowing the techniques to do it is really interesting, really important, and is a key kind of freedom especially but also a key privacy technique so that's one of them torrenting is the reason that they avoid that because it it, it is so associated negatively with you know illegally downloading movies and, and things of this nature things that people a lot of people will use for illegal purposes well correct and when we talk about legality of course different legal th 
torrenting is completely acceptable. Even copyrighted stuff is completely acceptable in places like India, Russia. In fact, that's called Tuesday if you live in India and Russia. So <laughs> only in places... That's called Let's Go to the Movies tonight. Exactly, yeah. So uh, in fact, I had a, <clears throat> I was living in a Western country. I had an Indian friend who I asked him if, you know, do you have this book? And they just sent me a whole list of torrented things. I was like, okay, we can't be doing this on Gmail. So, but it was just so casual. It was just so normal as it is for most people in the world. In fact, torrenting traffic, which is mostly copyrighted stuff, takes up something like 5% of internet traffic in the world. So wow. it's a it's a common thing. In most places, it's it's fully acceptable. It's not stealing in the moral sense. Of course, your government sometimes disagree, and it's always uh, dangerous to be correct when the government is incorrect. But you know, we we just talk about these in, in frank terms. I'm I'd be careful. I'm careful not to tell people to do clearly illegal things. But you know, we talk about the tools, and the laws apply differently in in different countries. And yeah, that's how I that's how I go about it. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So what what was the editor that you were about to get into? Uh, so. Recently, we've been talking about a lot of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin and Monero, especially Monero is a privacy cryptocurrency. Uh, basically, the sender, recipient, all that good stuff that's revealed in Bitcoin is private in Monero. And we talk a lot about that stuff. And that's a big no-no. We can see that these things are probably going to be banned, especially some of the technologies like coin joining in Bitcoin, which is a way of essentially mixing. I don't want to use the term mixing because that's a legal term, but uh, combining your Bitcoin with other people's and spitting out uh, a kind of anonymized amount. And so I talk about this stuff a lot, especially recently, and I've made a lot of friends in in this community. I have a great episode coming out with a company called Samurai Wallet. They're kind of experts at this stuff. And we talk about that stuff. And for a lot of people, that's a no-no. I expect that this kind of stuff could be illegal in upcoming years, but uh, I don't shy away from things that are great privacy strategies. All right, so let's uh, let's try to go back to the basics a little bit here. I, I think there's probably a, a couple of different people listening. A lot of people that might have followed followed me over from the political show uh, might have their own sort of s similar sense to you about just the the philosophy behind having their own privacy. But there might be others that are, have have sort of taken a more casual approach on this. And while they might generally be aware of things like you know Facebook tracking them for ads and things of that nature. For the most part, they don't see a major concern around it because it doesn't seem to affect their everyday lives. They don't. They may might, might be thinking, you know, I don't do politics. I don't get into anything that the government or anything like that is going to care about. So why should even that sort of person that might not already have a maybe a philosophical or political view behind the privacy issue? Why should even that sort of person be interested and more aware of privacy issues that can affect? Well, sure. And I didn't think three years ago that it it could be illegal in places like Canada to claim there are two sexes or to not be allowed to enter a building without a, uh, a mask on me. So, you know, things things change pretty quickly in terms of laws. So let's not forget that. But look, you're asking me to, you're giving me the pulpit to preach why is privacy important. And I go, I have like a pendulum where I go back and forth, um, not wanting to to preach about it because what I've learned is, and wanting to preach about it, because what I've learned is when people are ready for something, they will come to you. And it's really not useful I think sometimes to kind of just preach to people who are not ready to hear the message. And I'll be honest, I'm in that mood right now, Mark. And I've come to the, uh, I've also come to the realization that some of these people who don't care about privacy, they're also important for the ecosystem, right? You have to have the injured deers who are the ones picked off by the wolves. And so I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. I, I recognize that some people are, are going to have to, to, or are going to be the ones who, um, take the hit so that I can, uh, I can survive. And I think I'm okay with that, especially if these people really don't care about it. You know, um, so some of your audience won't care at all about privacy. And if that's the case, there really isn't much I can do 
or really care to do at this point in time. You know, for others, though, of course, they will understand. They'll understand that if you're gay and you live in one of 10 countries where you can be killed for being gay, then you might be careful about using something like Facebook, which is tracking you in such a way that it can out you in just a few clicks. Um, You know, these people will understand that when you use Microsoft Office online, which is really one of the only ways to use it now, Microsoft is seeing what you type as they can. And per the Microsoft service agreement, they can close your account if you are guilty of hate speech. What does that mean? Well, only Microsoft knows. Um, You know, some people in your audience will understand that when they give their name and real phone number and real address to their mechanic or dentist, when they don't have to at all, and those people assure you that we will protect your data, um, they will understand that when it this information ends up in these databases, it will get leaked inevitably. It will be used to commit fraud and maybe in some cases identity theft. And it might be used to raise your vehicle insurance premiums in certain cases. Um, so these people understand the importance of privacy. Of course, other in your audience who understand, who get it, they'll understand that when you type on Google or other big tech platforms, you're literally feeding the AI programs like ChatGPT and other language learning software. You're giving birth with your data to AI systems that are going to replace you and maybe control you someday. So, you know, some people get it and some don't. And I prefer these days, to be honest, to talk to the people that just get it. Let's go back to sort of the non-digital stuff that you mentioned there. The things that a lot of people just have been going about doing since they were, you know, since they were brought up in the world, probably saw their parents doing it too and just don't think twice about it. Like you said, go to the mechanic, go to the dentist, you fill out the form. You're you're not even thinking twice about it. You're giving them their your name, your phone number. Um, what happens to data like that in ways that people just aren't thinking of? They're just thinking, yeah, sure, whatever. My dentist wants to mail me a bill. That's fine. Why wouldn't I give them my, my address? Right, so... Most places these days, even the mom and pop shops are using some kind of software just because this is convenient, right? So your mechanic, your random mechanic is using some software and probably, not necessarily, but probably it's connecting to the internet at some point. It is probably some company who has entrepreneurially created some kind of system for them to make it easy for you to give them your information. They look at your VIN number on your car and they can easily find the parts, et cetera, et cetera. So they're using a third party. Anytime you give data to somebody, you're giving your data to a third party. Well, guess what? That third party has other third parties that they're dealing with. Sometimes they have agreements to share that data pretty explicitly. Um, In other cases, they simply do not have the ability to protect your information. Why? Well, you give your information, let's say to your dentist, okay? They put it into whatever, dentist software, which, which takes care of all the data of all the dentist offices in your country. And that software is inevitably going to get hacked. It's going to get leaked. And this happens to every company, Yahoo, Google, Apple, it doesn't matter. It's going to get leaked because you have so many moving parts in these companies. You have dozens, hundreds, thousands of employees. Each one of them have some kind of admin access. They can be socially manipulated at a very basic level and they can mess up. And so This data, you can have angry employees, which happens sometimes, who just decide, okay, I'm going to release this online on the dark web. So it's an inevitability when you give some piece of information that it is going to end up in some kind of database online. And there are people who are trading your data right now, your credit card numbers, your name, your social security number, whatever the case may be. And that could come back to bite you now. It could come back to bite you later. Um, But, you know, for me, 
I just don't like having any of that kind of stuff out there. Um, and actually I have a, a course where I teach people how to protect themselves from this. And one thing I learned in preparing for that course is we're talking about a $10 trillion, $10 trillion cybercrime industry of people who wake up every morning and their job is to take money from your Coinbase account and transfer it to their account. And they have all kinds of clever ways to do that. And a lot of this uh, stems from leaks and breaches, which can be used to send you a targeted email and you click here and you give even more information. So either the information that you give to your dentist is going to be compromised and used explicitly by that group, or they're going to use it for some kind of follow-up phishing email so that they can get more data from you. So then they can harm you in some way. So, so it's not, it's not so much that your dentist is, is going to do something nefarious or is even selling your data himself. But if it's in a system, if it's digitally stored somewhere and connected to the internet, which at this point, pretty much any software is going to be, then it's hackable. And not only might it get, get hacked, you might even say it's inevitable that it will at some point. It is inevitable. And, and, and we have hundreds and hundreds of instances of data breaches. And there are many thousands more where you're not even aware of them because the company and this is a weird kind of loop, if you want to call it in, in law, they're not necessarily required in, in most places, in most cases to reveal that right away. And so they're trying to get their PR machine going, right? They're trying to solve the issue. And you're going to find out about this two or three years later, that your email and your name and whatever was part of a data breach. And that was three years ago. Good luck. So what would you say to people that are thinking, okay, well, that, that sounds like a concern, but what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to just throw a fit in my dentist when they want an address? What what strategies do you actually use to, do you use like virtual addresses? Can you just not give them that information and it's it's not a big deal? Um, I think people just take it for granted that they're going to give this stuff out and they don't think twice about it. So how do you actually get around that without ca causing a huge inconvenience or like causing a stink with your dentist or your mechanic? Yeah, sure. Now for people like me, I have to practice what I preach. So I, I have a basic policy and it's very easy for me. I don't give out anything. <laughs> and so whatever that takes, it's it's going to happen. Now, if there are stages to this, you don't have to be that extreme. One easy thing is to just understand what I've explained here, which is that um, here's how these things could go wrong. So you could, let's say you go to your dentist and a lot of dentists, this is pretty simple. If, you, if you're paying cash upfront, and in, in many cases, you have to be willing to pay for your service in cash. If you're paying in cash, they don't really need your information. And you mean physical cash, because if you use a card, they kind of have your information as well then. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm not I'm not paying them with a credit card uh, at all. I, I don't use credit cards when I'm in person, cash one in 100%, no exceptions. Um, and so you go to the dentist and you can just, it, it can be really easy. You can just say, look, I'm not comfortable giving out this information. And some in some cases, they'll say, okay, well, you don't have to, or just give us this and this. Now, you will at some point probably have to give something in which case you can have um, you can have pseudonyms, right? They need a name. You can give them a name. Um, they need a phone number. Think for a second why they need the phone number. In some cases, they need to text you some kind of reminder about your appointment. And if you don't respond, then they're going to cancel it. Okay, that's important. In that case, you can make use of all the, the now abundant privacy services we have. For example, MySudo is a an app that you can download on your phone, you can get you can get nine additional phone numbers. And so you can designate one of them as, oh, this is my appointments in my local area. I'll use that. I won't give my real phone number. So you can do things like that. You can have a name ready to go. 
You can use services like Simple Login, where you can not, you don't have to give out your real email address. You basically create one on the fly and you give it to them and that will end up in your inbox, but through the proxy of this other service. So you're not ever giving your real email address. So there's tools as well, because we do need to give out information sometimes. So we can give out kind of proxy information. So when you go to the dentist, do you, you don't even give them your real name. Is that correct? Uh, no, they don't. I'm just using the dentist as an example. I don't even know if you go to a dentist regularly. But. Yeah, no, no. Look, I went to the dentist recently and I gave a name. They wanted a name. It had the little asterisk in the iPad they gave me. So I gave them a name and I paid in cash. And I think they needed to text me something. So I gave them a phone number from one of these services I recommend. And that's about all. Now, in some cases, they're more strict. So I just kind of vetted the dentist office and I, and I you know, went to one and they said, we need your whatever driver's license. Like, no, you don't need my driver's license. I'm paying in cash. So I went to another one and they didn't ask for that. And so that's also part of the process, just kind of vetting. And you can make a stink if you want. I think that's perfectly fine because they're saying that they need your personal information and they literally cannot protect it, as I said. So that offends me at a, at a very basic level. But you can also just vet your services, find one that requires minimal information and go go with that one. And obviously, I, I would think this would pose more of a problem in the case of going through insurance or something like that, where you do need to sh have your real name and you do need to show an ID. So I, I do only operate in cash when it comes to medical services and stuff like that. Now, the the case of medical services, you're right, it's tricky. Um, and when you when you when it comes to insurance, you're obviously giving out your real name, you're you're if you're using insurance, insurance is one of those things where you're not, you're not trying to commit any fraud. So you will have to give up your information when you're doing that. Now, that doesn't mean you have to fill out every box, right? Mm -hmm. You give them the basics in that case and say, look, I'm not willing to give this and this. Um, but no, I'm not encouraging anybody to commit fraud. I'm just saying there's a lot that we right, give right. out. <laughs> there's a lot that we give out that is totally voluntary. And if you're paying in cash and you're not using insurance, you can basically not give much of anything. So no, when it comes to medical stuff, you definitely do have to give some information, not all of it. And I was talking to somebody recently on my podcast, and he said this about doing the whole medical process. When you get in there and you're talking to the doctor, one thing you can do is say, look, I want to ask you something off the record, because otherwise they might put it into their record. So you can say off the record, make sure they're not typing this, just ask a hypothetical question. Is that a legal thing? Do they, if you say that, do they have to like not write down whatever you say? Or is it just kind of a practice? I'm not sure. I think it's probably more of a practice than a legal thing. But that can keep some of your data out of the databases, right? Um, other people, okay. after they're done with surgery. I mean, just if you if you have something you want to ask them about that you'd like to remain private, you can just say, can I just ask you about this thing, but not make it part of our official you know record of today? Correct. Yeah. Now, I don't, like I said, I don't think that's a legal thing. I think that's just a courtesy. But I mean, what, right. what doctor wouldn't do it? And if they don't, it probably shouldn't be your doctor. For sure. Okay, well, interesting. I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot of layers to this. So, I mean, I, I just want to dig into the name thing a little bit more because I'm kind of curious. Like you, you said, you can use pseudonyms. So, is it possible to have like a number or just maybe just one or several pseudonyms that are not your real real name but are legal for you to use? I mean, obviously, a lot of like actors and stuff like that sort of have pseudonyms in, in the public eye. So, um, how does that work for just an ordinary person? Can you actually get a number of legal pseudonyms that you use it for various reasons? Yeah, that's a good question. When I'm talking about pseudonym pseudonyms, I'm talking about you go to your barber or you go to your Starbucks or whatever. They don't they don't need to know your name. This is not a legal concern whatsoever. Now, gotcha, right? You can call yourself whatever you exactly, want. Exactly, right? That's why I like when you go to a coffee shop. They say, um, "Can I get a name?" 
right? It's like, not your name. Like, right, can I get right. a name, an identifier, right? And Right. This is not a legal conversation. It's just like, what do you want me to shout out for your copy? Exactly, exactly. And so when it comes to dealing with the government, obviously, you have to give them your real name. Otherwise, there are serious punishments. So you're not, you're not playing games when it comes to that. Now, there is a legal process, especially in places with common law and especially the United States, where you can go about having a new name and get that on a uh, official documentation. Now, I don't want to go into the details here. This is not something I've looked into deeply recently, but one of my first guests, his name is Barry Reed, and he wrote a book in the 70s, I think, called The Paper Trip. And he explained the basic process of how you can get a new legal identity, which is perfectly fine. You can change your name to whatever you want, whenever you want in a lot of places, especially like the US. And he wrote that book to help people escape the Vietnam draft. And so that's a mm-hmm. and that's a valuable resource that kind of illustrates the basic point where you can create another identity. It's not easy, it's not simple, and you can get the official documentation, but there are some steps that you have to go through. I'm mostly talking about the many instances where you have to give a name and it's not it not pertain to anything legal. And so you just give them a name to fill in, fill in their records. Gotcha. So when you go to a barber, a dentist, whatever, you're just giving them some sort of nickname or, or what have you. Exactly. And it's important to have a common, a common name. This is what I do. I like a common name for the area, something with two syllables and something that is easy to, so that's easy to pronounce, right? You don't want them saying, sorry, what was your name? Right. You don't want to cause any of that confusion. So something strong, uh, and easy to pronounce and simple and common for the area and stick with that same name for your area because otherwise you can forget it. They'll say, oh, what was your name? And you don't want to sit there for five seconds, like scratching your like, oh, what was my name? Right. So there's there's some, you know, a lot of people are listening and they're saying this is ridiculous. Why would I do this? Look, it can be very simple. Just start practicing, start doing some of this. And for me, it's second nature. It's so easy. Right. I need a name. OK, here's my name. So when you say using a certain name in a particular area. Do you mean like, you know, if, if you're in St. Louis one weekend, uh, you'll, you'll, maybe you'll be Stevie in St. Louis for that weekend. And does it kind of like geographically located? And then do you, so and if that's the case, do you then have different nicknames you use depending on kind of where you're going to be? So what I meant by that is it, it, you choose the name depending on what country or what area you're in, you're in where that name is a little bit more common. Okay. You just want to not stand out. Yeah, exactly. If point. if you're in if you're in rural Louisiana and you say your name is Dimitri, they're gonna right, they're gonna make who what? How do you spell that? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, I do it in such a way that one time I was in a coffee line and I gave my name, and there were literally the two people in front of me had the exact same name. I didn't realize that. <laughs> and you have a 10 minute conversation about how you have the same name and how, how what a funny coincidence that is. Indeed. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's move just, just beyond the name thing to a few other, I think, basic steps that people can take um, if, if maybe this stuff is just resonating with them on the basic level, uh, just in terms of things very simply. Let's just start with addresses and phone numbers. What do you do for addresses and phone numbers? And I, I know what a lot of people are probably thinking, like, okay, it, it makes sense to maybe use virtual phone numbers or have different addresses, but then what do I have to do? Use, do, I, do you constantly be generating new phone numbers or new emails or new addresses? How do you actually do this in a way uh, that is manageable that doesn't you know just cause you to lose your mind and, and keep track of you know 100 different addresses or virtual phone numbers or whatever it may be? Sure. So when you are giving an address to the people in your local area for services, one thing I do is I'll just pick a single address and you can save this information in something like a password manager. This is a very useful tool. 
I recommend something like KeePassXC or Bitwarden, and you just have your little password manager and you can type in all of your notes about your pseudonyms in your life. That's easy. There's nothing wrong with sticking with one pseudonym, one address in your area. You don't have to keep generating them. That can get confusing. You want to be consistent, if nothing else. Now, one easy thing about your, your address, let's say you want to protect your home address and there's all kinds of reasons why you would want to, right? Uh, for example, you know, anybody famous, any relative anybody relatively famous or, and keep in mind, you can be famous if you say something stupid on Twitter um, and it hits the algorithm in the right way. Um, as happened with a dentist in uh, in Minnesota where he tweeted about killing a lion in South Africa. And he, next thing right. you know, next thing he knew, his office was getting picketed. Um, and obviously he's, he's, in, he's in danger, right? So one easy thing you can do is to, well, so there, there's different layers to this, right? I am in a place right now where I'm basically the only human being who knows that I'm here. I don't even know what the address is. I've never seen it on paper. Um, that's the extreme version. But there are simple things you can do to slow down the your your address being propagated in all these databases, which we talked about will inevitably leak. They'll end up on people's search websites, which are these just conglomerations of people collecting all this breach data and make it easy for people to search. And so easy thing, you're getting something delivered. Take out a postal box or a UPS store box or something like this in your area so that you're sending to a proxy and you're not sending to your actual house. Amazon's really good about this. They have lockers now. Fantastic idea. You can send things to the locker and they will, you know, you'll still have access to them, but you're not giving Amazon your real home address. Um, just little things like that are, are pretty simple and, and straightforward. Look, another thing you can do is simply start a new Amazon account and have a different name. It doesn't have to be your real name it will still get delivered to you in most countries on earth, regardless of what name you give. So give a fake name. And even if you want to send to your home address, at least it's a, at least it's arriving to your home address under a different name than you had. So just cause a little bit of confusion, however you can. That's the easy way to just kind of propagate some nonsense or keep your real home address out of some of these systems. And I think what you said there is is kind of an important point. You said to just cause a little extra confusion because at the end of the day, yeah, you prob probably even you with all the steps you take can't 100% protect 100% of your privacy 100% all of the time. Uh, but if you can separate yourself from the pack a little bit from those wounded deer that aren't doing anything to protect their data, uh, anything to protect their address, their phone number, well, maybe they never even get up to you because they're they're busy, you know, munching on all those other wounded deer that left the doors wide open. I think that's right. Yeah. Don't need to make the perfect, the enemy of the good. I want to dig a little bit further into something you talked about kind of in the beginning when it comes to building a brand and how you went about building a brand. You said like a lot of those privacy people, maybe for obvious reasons, are not really so out there with this stuff. So you had, when you made the decision to get out there with this stuff, obviously, A, you still want to maintain your privacy because it's an important issue to you. But obviously, but if you're going to do a privacy podcast, you kind of you almost need to lead by example here too. You know how could how could you really do a very serious privacy podcast if you were just you know being in a, a completely a completely public person in a completely public way that would be sort of going against a lot of the things you actually talk about? So I'm just kind of curious how you went about starting a brand, getting a Twitter account, doing all of these things uh, while not actually having that personal side of it, which is really the key to a lot of branding for a lot of people. Right. Right. And I'll say here that I have I have consulted with with Mark uh, about the podcast a couple of times, and he's been a valuable resource. So thank you for that, Mark. But um, so yeah, that I, I, I recognize I was just talking about I was just 
consulting with somebody on this earlier, he said, look, I have this past life and I, I kind of want to do something else and have maybe a, even a, a new pseudonym or, or something, but I would like attachment to that past credibility. And so that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's a problem that a lot of people have for me. I knew that, okay, if I'm going to be out here talking about privacy, it's going to take some time. People are, we're going to need to build some credibility. The first thing I did was I wrote a book, my watchman guide to privacy. And this has turned out to be one, one of the best, you know, privacy guides out there. And so I published that. That was the first thing I realized at that point I could say, okay, I'm an author. I'm an author of this book and it has good reviews and the only negative reviews are people who don't like my politics, um, which is something that's cropping up these days. But so I did that first and then I just started consistently slowly um, with the podcast, just do all the right things, be consistent, have all the production value, increase, uh, improve the production value, get on all the different platforms and just be rock solid about it. Realize it's going to take some time and have a good product. Uh, don't release anything that's subpar. I put a lot of attention into it. And over the years, I'm on in the 60s in terms of my episode count. People can now tune in and they see I'm getting really good guests and the audio audio quality is good. The visual stuff is good. I have a decent website. And now I have that credibility just by virtue of always improving, doing all the right things and just keeping with it. Yeah, I think I think that's such a good point. And it, I, I know when we had those consultations, it was a little bit of a challenge for me for me because so many of the people I consult with, a lot of the branding conversation we have is, you know, leading into the the name and using your name and making getting your name out there. So with you, it's not that it's the opposite because you do have a pseudonym. So we do want to get that pseudonym out there, but it's just a little bit a bit of a different approach that's required. Um, but by the way, just to go back, how did you choose this uh, that pseudonym, Gabriel Casodiad? What's the meaning behind that? Yeah, well, I, I don't think I've ever said that this is a, a pseudonym. Now, um, oh, well, I just kind of assumed it was. Well, it, a lot of people do, um, and I don't say either way. But what I will say is that, <laughs> yeah, because even that would be revealing some information, I suppose. Well, right? well sure, but look, it, you're right that it's a highly symbolic name. Um, you know, if people just type in custodiate into the search engine, they're going to understand what that connects to pretty quickly. But what I'm, what I've understood, Mark, this is a weird thing that people really they live into their names, right? So you, like there's a Kevin, right? He lives into that name over time. And so I do think people kind of live up to, to their name. And that's simply what I've done over the years. All right, yeah. That's a Kevin, that's a Gabriel Custodia, you know? Um, all right, so we, we've talked about sort of like just, just the very basic stuff, you know, the, the getting virtual addresses, PO boxes, that, that sort of thing. Let's take it to sort of the next level. And the thing that we're, I say we all, Everybody is in some way on it in one way, some way, shape, or form to the point that, you know, it used to just be some people have social media and they're on it sometimes. But now it's a thing where even if you have any kind of job, half the time you need to reuse social media for a job. So how do you incorporate privacy strategies, particularly in your case, um, building again, building a brand using social media accounts? How do you sort of, you know, merge those two things? Obviously, there's a lot of things that people can do in terms of their own accounts. Yes, you can not put your face online. Uh, you can. We'll get into more of that stuff later and how you recommend people that already have um, their sort of their face out there, like myself, do from that point. But um, from your perspective, just how how do you go about just having the most anonymity possible in your interactions online, uh, particularly with social media? Yeah. So first of all, it's pretty obvious that these social media companies are deploying all kinds of psychologically manipulative manipulative tactics to get you clicking and seeing the notification and that has your that gives you your endorphin rush and et cetera, et cetera. So I would encourage most people to not consume social media 
I'm only on there to produce social media. That's the only time I, I check in on Twitter or YouTube or wherever I'm producing something. And sure, I'll interact with a, a few people because that is kind of a form of production. For the average person, I would say you don't need to have a Twitter account. You can use a service like Knitter, which allows you to view an entire Twitter profile without, without being logged in. So there are various proxy services that you can use, right? You don't need to have a YouTube account. You can still consume all the stuff on YouTube without being, you know, having your Google account. And that's just a simple thing you can do is to go on the internet and, and be a ghost. You don't have to have an account for all these things, especially if you're not producing. Now, if you do have to have an account, maybe you are a producer, you can make use of the phone services that I talked about. My pseudo is an example of one. You could also just use something like um, Google Voice, uh, which is from Google, yes, but you can have it in a way that is not attached to your name as oftentimes a, a phone number is. And so you can just use some kind of alternative phone number. You can have your dedicated email service. I like ProtonMail. And you can use that as your kind of separate email address. And beyond that, of course, just go into the settings, look at the privacy settings. They're not going to help you that much, but they will do something. So uh, if you don't want certain things to be public or private, just kind of go through that list and check all of those things. You don't want to be tagged if you're using something like Facebook. Um, some of the some of the basic stuff where, of course, the, the main strategy, Mark, is just don't put a lot of stuff out there. I don't, if, if I was showing my face, I would be careful what I'm showing in the background. Um, you know, don't have my geolocation on there. Uh, a lot of phone, oh, excuse me, a lot of photos, especially if you're taking them on a phone, have a built-in geolocation information. And when you put that, if you were just to put that, let's say on your website, people can actually download that and find those geo coordinates, which is crazy. Now, a lot of websites will scrub those, which is good, but you can also use a service. This is called, um, uh, uh, Oh gosh, I'm blanking on, on the name of this information. Um, EXIF data. <laughs> yes, EXIF data. So you can go to a website like their EXIF and scrub some of that geo, those geo coordinates from particular images. So, you know, these are just a, a few strategies. I'm happy to say more, but maybe maybe you have a follow-up from that, or maybe that's good. Yeah, well, let's let's lean a little bit more into like people that are already for whatever reason. I guess Mike, we can just use me as an example because uh, it's it is the case that it's funny because many many years ago when we first started Lions of Liberty, we didn't use full names when, when before we were even doing podcasts. We were just kind of writing articles, and we but we did we we use our first names and our real last middle initial. Like we thought we were being super super sluice there, uh, but eventually we all kind of decided, yeah, let's just let's just use our full real names. We're we're going to events. We're being public, and we're just going to do that. And then, of course, uh, I've I've been myself. I've been Mark Claire ever since. I guess in, in the public manner. So, what would you say to people? I guess like myself that for various reasons already have a a public persona of some sort. In my case, my name is on my show, idiot. But uh, what what would you say to people like me that the name is known, the name is public? You're probably not going to change that. Um, what are steps you would take uh, to sort of further? the the privacy that you do have from what you obviously there are steps that you mentioned just now um but maybe beyond that but beyond beyond things like making sure to scrub geolocations or just be careful about the kind of things you post um just what are some sort of next level steps you would take yeah so obviously just start by being thoughtful if you're in a you're visiting somewhere maybe you don't need to inform people of that and maybe you post your photos about that days after you have left. That's one simple thing. Of course, if you are out there publicly, then it's really important that you lock down your accounts as best you can. 
um, because you're, you've given your name. That is one piece of information people can use to go to these people search websites. Anybody can and type in whatever name and they can get some basic information that is from public records, voting records. If you own a house, you're automatically in public records in places like the U S and so you need, you really should lock down a lot of your online accounts. And the best thing you can do there is to have two factor authentication on absolutely every service that you can. That's one kind of basic thing. Um, and you can, uh, if you're very public, make use of things like trusts and LLCs and have them own certain things, certain properties, whatever the case may be. Um, and otherwise just start. And, and, and of course, one thing you can do is to get out of these people search websites. These are websites, there are hundreds of them. Some of them are owned by entities in China. And so they're not going to take these down, let's just say. And they've collected, as I said, all of this breach data, especially in, in places in the West and the US where we're giving, we're trusting Target with our information and Target gets leaked. And that information ends up on the dark web and people next thing you know, put it into a database and you can search for it or pay for pay a few dollars and search for it online. And this is how a lot of casual people are able to dox or even swat uh, people they don't like where they find that person's name and then they can find their address and then this person has upset them. So they're going to call the police and say that at this address, this person is holding somebody hostage. And so they send in the SWAT team and people can get killed, obviously, in situations like this. That's what we call swatting, um, all because they had information on these people search databases, you can remove that data. There's a great workbook by a, you go to inteltechniques.com. Um, this is another privacy guy. He has a great book for kind of working on getting yourself out of these databases, essentially opting out. There are some automated services that approach um, being good enough to, to do this. So that's another thing that I would probably do if I were high profile, get out of people search databases. Um, Try start to make use of trust analyses as best I can. Uh, delay when I post videos about public events, not reveal too much information online, um, things of this sort. Maybe you can address why, like, why you say you shouldn't post pictures of like where you are or, or where you're traveling. Uh, I, I that might be obvious to some, but other people might just be like, What's you know, what's What's the big deal? Like I'm, I'm, I'm spending the weekend in Las Vegas. Why can't I, I post that I'm, you know, hanging out at, at, you know, this casino or what have you? Like, what, what are, what are things that can happen by that speci the specificity of your current location, even if you're just going to be somewhere for a day or two? Well, again, I'm not proselytizing. So if you think that's right, then probably you're right. Now, in the case of very high-profile people, there have been some instances of, let's say, a rapper who is who was at the Super Bowl in Miami. And he posts all these photos about all of his, I think he was a, he was a, uh, he was a jeweler, right? So he had all these, um, he had all these watches with diamonds and such. And he just took a photo on a bed of all this stuff that he had. And the people following were like, wow, that's millions of dollars worth of stuff. They recognized, they were able to look at the hotels in the area, see which ones had beds like that. And they ended up finding his room number by simply calling the place and saying, Oh, is, is, could you please direct me to this person? Okay, sure. And they mm -hmm. found out his room number based on it. They just showed up to the hotel, knocked down the door, took his stuff and left. And so that's just one kind of example of if you're really high profile, you probably don't want to do this. If you're small potatoes, if you're just a regular person, uh, maybe you have some personal enemies. There are 2% of the population are psychopaths who live only for their own pleasure. And so if they're on a quest for revenge, nothing on earth is going to stop them except boredom. So if you have somebody like that after you, and I don't, 
I, I admit that there are people like there be there's a huge percentage of people who are being stalked and all this other kind of stuff. So if that is you, then probably it would be a good idea to heed what I'm saying here. For most people, probably you're fine. Maybe we can dig into this subject of psychopaths a little bit more because I think a, a lot of why I think people often have trouble wrapping their heads around why they should take X, Y, and Z steps to protect themselves from certain things are because they're not psychopaths, they're regular people, and they they couldn't really dream of taking a lot of the extreme steps to either you know to either you know, rob someone to do to do fraud of some kind or to cause harm on on someone because their brain doesn't work the same way as the brain of a psychopath would that might go through all those steps and never even think twice about it. So maybe you can elaborate on that on that a little bit to to the best of your of your sort of knowledge on the subject, but I know it's something you do speak about. So maybe cuz cuz really that's in some way that's that's what all this is planning for. It's not planning for just like a random guy who's who's trying to find your data or whatever. It's that it is really for like that extreme part of the population that's going to go to extreme lengths to cause harm. Yeah. That's fair enough. Uh, this is a topic that I'm very interested in. I, one of my earliest episodes was called Privacy and Psychopaths. I still think that's one of the best things ever produced on Psychopaths. 20 minutes, you'll kind of get the drift. But we have around 2% of the population that is born. Um, there seems to be some social conditioning involved, but they are certainly predisposed uh, to be born this way uh, or to be psychopaths when they're born. And these people do not have a conscience, right? The biologically in the, in the brain, things are missing such that if you were to, they've done tests, like they verified this when a uh, psychopath, they'll have normal people and they tell them they're going to get shocked. And then they kind of build up to it and they can measure their tension rising in their body um, until the point that they get shocked with psychopaths, nothing. No, no, no anxiety whatsoever leading to that shock, um, where they will show regular people emotional words, and they see a different kind of brain activity happening with normal people with psychopaths, nothing. So these people do not have the ability to have empathy, they cannot put themselves in someone else's shoes. Um, they are therefore incapable of adhering to any ethical system that has worked in humanity over the years, the golden rule, um, you know, um, uh, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you or any other kind of ethical system out there. They cannot adhere to this. And so their goal in life is to go around exploiting people, uh, being being highly uh, promiscuous, um, hurting people in some cases, something like, I, I, so here's an important statistic, 50% of serious crimes are committed by psychopaths who only represent 2% of the population. And so that, that tells you something. Um, of course, we have all these stories of, of psychopathic serial killers, et cetera. Um, and so there are these people out there. Maybe you have one in your life. Statistically, there's probably a few of you listening. You might have a psychopath in your life. Of course, these people are influencing us by being he the head of corporations or governments where they probably represent a lot more than 2% in those positions. And so they are affecting you, right? Look at the leaders who you can kind of see it in their eyes. Um, if you look at some of these people or some of these famous drug lords, et cetera, you can see these reptilian eyes. And I, I've looked at having studied psychopaths with great books like, uh, uh, what's the one? Um, Without Conscience by Robert Hare. That's a great one to start with. I've I've studied these and then I, I look at photos of people uh, like drug lords, et cetera. And you can see in their eyes, like this person's a psychopath. I'm not going to, I'm going to not going to name these people for obvious reasons. Um, but you know, these, these people are influencing our, our lives, um, and obviously influencing our laws and what we can and can't do. And in some cases they might be that crazy stalker X who chases you down. 
So yeah, understanding something about psychopaths, I think is really important for understanding that there are predators in the world who look like humans, but they are not humans. They do not have a conscience. If you're a Christian, they do not. These are people without a soul. And so, yeah, very dangerous uh, person to encounter, uh, but very important to know something about them. And the scariest thing and is that they might now they they might be like you said, because sometimes you do just see someone and you look in their eyes and you're just like, that's that's something bad. I just know that's something bad. But sometimes they can kind of blend in as regular people and you might meet someone who's a psychopath and not realize it at first. Or you might meet someone who's you know, seemingly uh, being open and honest and and is really plotting something against you. Uh, I mean, there, there's there's probably layers of levels to this, I would say. There's probably low-level psychopaths, I guess, that might have no problem robbing someone on the street or you know, causing low-level crime, and maybe that same person isn't necessarily going to go on a murder spree, um, but they do have the commonality of they don't really care if they screw someone else over. And, and not only that, like you spoke to, they don't even have like the capacity to to compete to 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 do that, which is different than what might be sort of like a learned behavior or like you know someone grew up with a bad father who taught them X Y Z thing. The psychopath is something very specific where they just simply don't have the capacity to even see the right or wrong in the first place. Yes, correct. It is a very specific medical term, right? We throw this word psycho around a lot, right? There's psycho from Alfred Hitchcock. Of course, that could also mean psychotic. That's a different thing. A psychotic person is disconnected from reality. A psychopath sees reality exactly as it is. In fact, they think that they see reality more clearly because they do not have these emotions that they see in humans. Mm. They don't have all this stuff weighing them exactly. down, pulling them like, left wh- and right. Why aren't you doing this? Like, why, why aren't you doing this to in, in pursuit of your own self-interest? Like, there's a dog in your way, so so why wouldn't you kick it out of your way? Like, th- there's no reason why you mm. wouldn't. So they are robotic in that particular way. But you're right, there are um, different tiers to this. Obviously, study this before you go around doing any, and don't diagnose people. Uh, there's a great book by John Ronson called The Psychopath Test, where he kind of explores how people are kind of on the verge of being a psychopath and they get institutionalized and all this other kind of crazy stuff. So yeah, it's not, not something you want to go being a casual um, diagnoser of this kind of thing, but it is very important to, to realize that there are, there is a, there is a different being in the world that does not see things as you do and does not have the emotions that you do and does not have, therefore have the goals. And therefore what, what are they trying to do? They do not have any fulfillment. They do not have get joy from being in a relationship or having a family or having a job. Um, they cannot even conceive of the future in certain cases. And so they are here for the immediate pleasure of the moment. And so what are they going to do? They might start a war, to be honest. That might be what they do um, because they have no qualms about it and they're just there to have fun. Why do you think it is that... That 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 quality of being a psychopath, because a lot of people would think someone like that, they're never going to get anywhere in life. They're just going to spend their whole life sort of, you know, being, you know, street level frauds or what have you. But in fact, many of them actually do get to the highest levels of society, whether it's heads of corporations, uh, heads of state and what have you. Uh, so what what quality do you think? that actually they have that, that actually lends to both of those things that doesn't, it lends both to, to not to shutting down that emotion and being an evil person, but it also lends to achieving success in certain areas, not just government related. Like you said, it it could be head of corporations. Yeah, it's a good question. And you're kind of testing my, my knowledge of psychopaths. There's another great book called the sociopath next door that I recommend. But basically if you think about it like this, Mark, so you have this person who, okay, maybe they don't have explicit, 
objectives. Maybe they, they only have some weird sense of the future. Maybe they're only living in the moment. You can still progress by doing that. Let's say you're in a company and you're absolutely ruthless, right? You're a salesperson. So you use every trick that you can to get sales from people. Fraud, lying, psychopaths are the best liars out there. In fact, because they don't feel these emotions, they, they're kind of like chameleons. They absorb all these things. They recognize what makes humans tick and they exploit that. So they're very charismatic people. They say all the right things. Their brain is wired in a different way that they can bounce from one lie to another and just be totally, totally charismatic. And so you can be in a sales position and be ruthless about it and go up. And before you know it, your only real difficult thing is firing these people, making that difficult decision. Um, you know, uh, you know, hiring a hitman to kill your competitor, right? There's all kinds of things that you could do to get up to the top that don't necessarily require all this skill and dedication that a normal person would use to get there. And when they're up at the top, they're just having meetings where they're saying yes and no, right? Do I need to fire these 10,000 people or not? So you can get to a high level position by lying and deceiving and fraud and being a chameleon. Makes me think of like the Wolf of Wall Street, and I don't know if I'm not saying he's a psychopath per se. Uh, I don't, I don't know that, but um, you know, th there's this just that there was no ethics involved. Um, the the only thing that mattered was getting these sales, getting these sales. Uh, it didn't matter if it was completely a, a fraudulent company or completely fraudulent product on the on the other end of things, but achieved great success. Yeah, you can't can't argue with it. In fact, even though he went to jail for it achieved great success is still famous and still gives talks and everything. So really, uh, and again, I, I don't know if he's, if he's actually like a psychopath or not, but um, just with that example that came no, That's a good observation. He, he might very well be. And, and look, you think of psychopaths, this ruthless, terrible killer. No, psychopaths are very charismatic, right? They bring people, they bring people to them. They have cults and they convince people to kill themselves in mass, right? These are very charismatic people. But if you start prying them with ethical questions, oh, if you were to put yourself in this person's shoes, what would you do? And that's confusing for them, right? If they, it, it's confusing because they're not thinking about it in a certain way. So you can piece together these sorts of things and realize that, shoot, I'm dealing with a predator who wear, that wears human skin and that sees me as prey. It is one of those things too, when you think about it, you know, 2% of the population or so is psychopaths. Okay. That doesn't sound like a lot of people. And then you think about how many people, you know, in real life, and it's probably well over hundred, it's probably in the hundreds, probably in the thousands of people you've interacted with in some way, shape and form over the years. So if you then extrapolate that match, like, okay, I probably actually, I probably actually know a several <laughs> active psychopaths. Yeah. Walk into a Safeway in Los Angeles and there's probably two in there <laughs> at a minimum. Gabe, one time, I, uh, one thing I wanted to dig into um, a little bit further are just you know, there's there's a lot of uh, I guess a lot of the, the serious uh, privacy protection type stuff, reasons you want to protect your privacy, reasons you want to protect your assets, your wealth, and what have you. Uh, I'm I'm curious of, of like sort of the more fun aspect of this. Um, maybe you can speak a little bit to uh, what you may call like James Bond type international travel. I know that I don't know where you are, when you are, where, but I know you do a, a bit of traveling and you're kind of around all over the place at times. So maybe you can speak to how um, how privacy can actually maybe uh, enhance your travel around the world. Yeah. So. Privacy, it's not necessarily this this chore, right? You can think about it in, in a fun way. And that's why if you look at my brand, Watchman Privacy, I have a I have my Watchman, he's staring off into the distance kind of towards infinity. So there is this um, romantic idea that we've always associated with privacy. You know, we have the James Bond figure who's just kind of traveling around, aliases, et cetera, et cetera. And once you start to piece a lot of these privacy tools together, let's say you have your online business 
And that doesn't require you to be anywhere. It doesn't require, you're just interacting with things in your own legal name. And maybe you have a passive income coming in. I talk about this. I have an episode called uh, How to Be Self-Employed. And maybe you recognize that there's all kinds of places in the world that you can be. And, you know, Mark, you've spent time in Mexico. You're no um, stranger to being an, an expat. There's all kinds of interesting things happening in the world. And if you can run your life on a laptop, then you can go and live anywhere and you can cross borders. And if you do it wisely, you don't have anything on your computer. So you upload it to, or you put in an encrypted folder, your important documents, and then you might upload that to something like Proton Drive and wipe your laptop. And when you go through airport security on the other side, you can download that encrypted file, unpack it, and you have all your stuff there. So there's literally no risk of having your stuff compromised by these in impressive technologies that they can use like Celebrite, which can just be plugged into your phone or your computer and just suck all of your data, even past some of the uh, encryption settings in certain cases. And so you can arrive at a destination. Um, you have your computer, it's obviously encrypted, and you have your files hidden wherever you want on your computer or some online service. And so you're not afraid of people stealing your stuff, taking advantage of you. Um, maybe some of your wealth is in Bitcoin or something, and you have a 12 word seed phrase. And as long as you remember that, you don't have to have anything else. You just remember the seed phrase. And let's say you need to evacuate to some area. You just fly to that area. You go to any public computer, download a Bitcoin wallet, type in your seed phrase. You have access to your, let's say, $1 million worth of Bitcoin just, just from that. So Bitcoin's a very uh, impressive digital tool that is very borderless. And so, you know, when you start to piece these things together, you can see how this can it's fun at least to think about these kinds of things. And we have all these impressive digital tools that can allow us to get around and to um, have access to money that is detached from the state and that is entirely borderless. Um, so yeah, just, just a few ideas, happy to bounce in any direction, but maybe that kind of uh, summons an image of a exotic life that maybe somebody wants to live. And maybe we can just dig into, uh, before we wrap up here, the main show, just a little bit more of digital currency, cryptocurrency, because it's a lot. It's the kind of thing that a lot of people are starting to understand more, starting to understand more even at the base level. Um, but there's a lot of people that are, are just starting to get into it and, and are just learning about it more casually. And it's it's one of those things where there's the beauty side and there's the, the danger side of it, because yes... If you just protect that seed phrase and just keep that in your mind, you are all set. At the same token, if you're irresponsible and you know leave that on a on a napkin or worse on your desktop or something like that, at the same token, that that can all be gone in an instant as well. So maybe you can just speak on some of the basic steps that people that are perhaps just learning about digital currencies and cryptocurrencies, the basic steps that they need to be taking to protect themselves that they might not have thought of because they might not have gotten to those advanced levels yet, which which really shouldn't be advanced levels, but they often can be. Right. So let's take us back to the last 10 or 10 or 20 years where we are using all these services where if we are stupid and forget our password, we just go and click, oh, I forgot my password. Somebody's coming to help me. Right. What does that mean, Mark? That means that if that's your Gmail account, that Google has the ability to get you back into your account, which means that they have access to your account, which means that they can see every message that you're sending. They can see all of your personal details, all the notes you're taking, et cetera, et cetera. This is how a centralized service works. They are in control. They protect your security and they have all seeing access to your account. Now, fortunately, we have these technologies, especially recently where we're making use of zero knowledge encryption, which means that your account is 
protected by encryption, which is a mathematical lock, whereby you have to type in a password in order to have access to that. You're breaking the encryption when you type in your password, which only you know, and you have access to that thing. That, and, and when that happens, the company itself cannot see your account, okay? So that is the closest thing we have to ownership in the digital world. So if you are going to have privacy, then you have to realize that you, it's gonna come with some responsibility because you are the only person with the key. If you forget the key, it's done. But that's how it should be. Because if you had a gold vault and I said, look, here's the gold vault, you have a key. Oh, by the way, uh, this other person has a key and the government has a key. They might check in sometimes, nothing to worry about. You still own this. That'd be stupid, right? So you have to take responsibility when it comes to seed phrases and passwords and other things in cryptocurrency. Fortunately for things like Bitcoin, the seed phrase is the all encompassing thing. That's why you have to protect it. Because if you take that 12 word seed phrase in Bitcoin, and a lot of cryptocurrencies are similar to this, you put that in, in any wallet anywhere. And now that Bitcoin is right there. It has generated the private keys attached to that. You are now the owner of that Bitcoin. So you definitely want to protect the private, the seed phrase. There are some, if you have a serious amount of wealth, definitely get a hardware wallet. The one I recommend that's Bitcoin only is Foundation, the Foundation Passport. And a hardware wallet allows you to create the seed phrase in a cold device. In other words, one that's not attached to the internet. And you can create that and leave it and store it on that device. And now you just protect that device and you're protected. Otherwise, just use common sense. You write down your seed phrase. You can etch it in steel. There's a lot of these companies that, that sell... Um, ways for you to etch it into steel so it can survive a fire, for example, a house fire, and you just hide that somewhere uh, sneakily in your house. And so those are some of the basic you know, practices for protecting a seed phrase. All right, well, Gabriel, I think we've covered a, a pretty good sort of uh, layout of a lot of the basics uh, when it comes to privacy, the why is the how, and there are obviously many, many, many uh, more advanced layers to all of this, all of which you get into on the Watchman Privacy Podcast. So I'll let you give one roundup of how everybody can find everything that you're doing, um, your courses, your podcast, your book, your Twitter account that you're on once in a while to create content only, uh, but uh, just let everybody know how they can find everything, and then uh, we'll see you in the smoke-filled room. For sure. So if you go to watchmenprivacy.com, plural or singular, I have both domains, so don't worry. Watchmenprivacy.com, you'll see everything I'm about. I have a free podcast. We talk about all kinds of radical privacy and freedom techniques, all kinds of interesting philosophical and technical stuff, uh, whether that's crypto, whether that's internationalizing, whether that's living homeless or living on a sea pod off the coast of uh, in international waters. So we talk about all kinds of interesting stuff. You don't want to miss it. This is uh, it's an excellent show for, for people interested in this kind of stuff. And I have some courses that can help you learn private crypto or to hack proof yourself. Um, and I have a book if you want to know a place to start, The Watchman Privacy, uh, Watchman Guide to Privacy. It's on Amazon currently. So you can pick that up. That's a good place to start. And otherwise, just go to the website. You'll see what I'm all about. Gabriel Castellet, thank you so much for coming on my show. My pleasure. Thank you, Mark. All right, kiddos, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gabriel Custodiate. And as always, the conversation did indeed continue in the smoke-filled room where Gabriel and I went a little bit deeper on a number of topics, including the subject of psychopaths. We even got visual for those of you 
checking out the video versions, which you can access, of course, in many different ways. Patreon, patreon.com slash Mark Claire Show uh, over on Subscribestar, where you can get yourself a nice little one-week free trial, if you like. You can probably dive through the whole archive. You might have to stay home from work, but you can dive through the whole archive of the last 29 episodes. Check out the extended ad-free versions of every single episode. You can also support me on Rockfin, where you can get access to a num- or number of other creators, people that have been on the show, including Jay Dyer, uh, Sam Tripoli, last week's guest Isaac Weishop. They're all on there. Uh, you get them all for the price of one. I think it's now 15 bucks a month for Rockfin, which is a absolute steal. So you get all the bonus content, all the smoke-filled rooms. You get Mark's monthly mu- musings. Uh, we're going to do a little bonus live stream in a few weeks with my friend Pete Quinones. I'm going to keep that one on the hip. Just a little teaser there for you. It's going to be a spicy one. I'm going to tell you that. So check it all out. Uh, MarkClaire.com has all the links you need. Very, very simple. M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com. Friends, it's been fun. Until next week, in case I don't see you, Good afternoon, good evening, and good night.